Amen. It is good to be with you. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I, my wife and I have the privilege of traveling all over. We've been in 33 nations, I think, now and 47 states, and there's nowhere that I like coming better than Heart of the Bay. I like coming to be with you guys. And uh, Pastor Mark, of course, is a very dear friend. And when I grow up, I want to be as cool as he is. I don't think I'm ever going to achieve that, but that's still a goal. You know, Brenda was just in Tulsa, and the event you preached at is called Kindle the Flame, and uh, Brenda has now taken on a new uh, nickname in Tulsa. She is Kindle the Flame Thrower. How many of you can see her fitting the name Kindle the Flame Thrower? Amen. And I don't know about this thing of me showing up and all of a sudden the weather's beautiful, but two weeks ago, the exact, I'm serious, two weeks ago, Saturday, yesterday, I flew, no, Friday, I flew into Seattle and the exact same thing happened. It was t terrible the day before they got rain the morning I showed up. And so, I don't know, I'm, it's, it's just happening. So, yeah, there you go. But seriously, it's so good to be with you and, and so thankful for you. I've been watching some of the things online and what you've been doing. This is just, isn't this, you know, we were made to praise God. And we all look forward to being back in the building and everything. But isn't it beautiful to just praise God out in the open? Just to let, I mean, we were created to praise God. And I'm so excited to be here just to worship with you outdoors in the beautiful fresh air and uh, spend this time with you together. You know, this has been a very interesting year, and and um, I, I certainly can't address all aspects of it, but it's been a challenging year for a lot of people. And, um, uh, you know, we have to look at the fact, I want to talk to you about the fact today that our faith was not born in the midst of ease and comfort and convenience. How many of you know the Christian faith it was really, it was born in the crucible of the, the worst that, that, that Satan had to offer. When Jesus was born, a murderous king tried to assassinate him and ended up killing all kinds of innocent little children, you know, male children there in Bethlehem. Um, you know, the, the way that Jesus was crucified, the, the cruelty and the hostility that the world gave him. When the early church was born, nobody rolled out the red carpet and said, here, let us make it easy for you. Our faith was born in adversity, and our faith overcomes adversity. This is the faith that overcomes. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And this has been a discouraging time. This has been a, a time where many people have really gotten the wind knocked out of their sails. And, you know, how many of you know people, generally speaking, don't like change? We, we get comfortable with routines. We, we, uh, we, we like patterns. We like everything predictable. And this has been, and, and not only have, have, has there been a lot of change and upheaval and People have been forced out of their comfort zones this year, but also there have been many things happening that have caused people to wonder what is going to be happening in the future. 
And I, I appreciate what Pastor Mark has been communicating. Uh, buckle up, you know, and look up. Because this is not a time for the church to be afraid. This is not. I want to talk to you today about what does the church do under pressure? And I'm going to tell you historically, when the pressure is on, God releases an abundance of grace, and this will be no different. I, I want to take you back to the end of the first century when the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. I saw a little meme the other day. It had this lady, and she's got this really terrified look on her face. And you can tell she's kind of looking out her door, and it says, just checking to see which chapter of the book of Revelation we're in today. John... The Apostle John was sent to the island of Patmos, exile. It was a prisoner island type of thing where political prisoners were kept. And he was sent there to shut him up. They had martyred all of the other Christian leaders, you know, main apostolic leaders, and they realized that when we kill them, it just, the church just grows more and more. Let's just stick John on an island and shut him up so he, he can't communicate with anybody. Well, we got the book of Revelation out of that one. Okay? How many of you know the devil overplays his hand? And, and there was an emperor that sent John to the island of Patmos as a political prisoner, even though he's a preacher, uh, but they sent him there as a prisoner, and um, the emperor's name was Domitian. And he was one of the emperors of Rome. He was cruel toward the Christians. And, and he had a real, I mean, you know, he, he was demon motivated for one thing. But he called himself Lord and God. And he required that everyone call him Lord and God. And throughout the Roman Empire, uh, which was prevalent all through that, the whole Mediterranean region of that day, uh, uh, altars were set up. You couldn't go into the marketplace at certain times without stopping and taking a pinch of incense and throwing it into the fire before the altar of Domitian and saying, Caesar is Lord. Couldn't go into the marketplace. And there was all kinds of persecution that was being leveled uh, against Christians. They could be denied employment or singled out for dismissal from certain government jobs, including the army or the senate. Uh, they could be denied entrance to the marketplace unless they would utter those words, Caesar is Lord, before the statues of Domitian. Church buildings could be demolished or confiscated, copies of scripture destroyed. Church leaders could be singled out for imprisonment, torture, banishment from society. Christians sometimes faced execution. And they were killed by the sword, the spear, crucifixion, fire, drowning, wild beast, and through countless other heinous, cruel, and sadistic methods. By the time that John was exiled to the island of Patmos, he was the only remaining uh, member who was alive of the original apostolic band and the top church leaders of the day. James, the brother of John, had been put to death by the sword in Jerusalem under Herod. Peter had been crucified in Rome under Nero. Andrew, Peter's brother, 
died by crucifixion in southern Greece on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew and Thomas had both been killed in India. Matthew had been killed with an axe in Ethiopia. Paul had been beheaded in Rome under Nero. Uh, James, the Lord's brother, the author of the book of James, was beaten to death in Jerusalem. Mark was dragged to death in the streets of Alexandria, Egypt. Timothy was stoned and beaten to death in the streets of Ephesus. Now, all of this sounds really negative, and this is not the kind of thing anybody gets excited about, but this... This was the environment in which the early church arose. And when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now the gates of hell certainly tried. Tertullian was a a leader from northern Africa, Carthage area, and uh, one of our northern African early church fathers. And he wrote powerfully about the persecution that came against the church. And he said they blame the Christians. See, the Christians, they were not... Did you know that the Christians were not persecuted because they believed in Jesus? The early Christians were not persecuted because they believed in Jesus. See, the early Romans and the Greeks were polytheistic which means they had hundreds and thousands of gods. To add one more by the name of Jesus was no problem whatsoever. Families had their own personal gods. For people to say, well, we we believe Jesus was the Son of God or Jesus was God manifested in the flesh or we believe Jesus died for our sins, nobody cared about that. Nobody would have ever persecuted the Christians for that. What they persecuted the Christians for is the Christians refused to worship the other gods because they held to the idea that, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and there was no other name given under heaven by which men would be saved. It was not that they believed in Jesus that was the problem. It's that they refused to worship the other Roman gods. And when they refused to worship the gods of Rome, they were considered traitors. They were considered uh, betraying their nation. And, um, and, and so Tertullian explains that because the Christians refused to worship the Roman gods, the people, the populace believed that any time there was a natural disaster, a flood, an earthquake, whatever, it was the Christians' fault that the gods were angry because the Christians were not worshiping the Roman gods. That's why all the persecution came. That's one of the major reasons why all of this came against the Christians. Now, I don't know about you. I know that our country is not perfect, but I am thankful for this country. Um, We've got problems. We've got things that need to be changed. We've got issues that need to be addressed. But, But I am thankful. I've preached in more than 30 nations of the world, and I am thankful for this country. What we don't realize, what many people do not realize, is in other parts of the world, there, there are far more Christians being persecuted today than there were in the first century under the Roman Empire. 
Do you realize that? There are countries that systematically and, and uh, they target Christians for all forms of persecution. In, in the Roman Empire of the first century had a population of, a, it was less than 60 million people. Stop and think about this. I know it's Sunday morning, and I know you may not be thinking mathematically, but in the Roman Empire, the entire Roman Empire, there were less than 60 million Christians. So what that means is, I'm just going to grab a number arbitrarily. If 10% of the Roman Empire were born-again Christians, that means there could have been 6 million people facing persecution at a given time. Population less than 60 million, 10% Christian, that means around 6 million people would have been subject to persecution at any given time. Did you know that today in the world there are more than 260 million Christians who are living in areas where they are subject to severe persecution? Did you know that in the world last year, more than 9,500 church buildings were burned or destroyed in attacks against Christians simply because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm not saying this to be morbid or pessimistic or fatalistic. I'm simply saying that Christianity was born in the crucible of affliction and in many parts of the world today, uh, there are still people, people in villages where oppressive regimes and radical religious groups are endeavoring to exterminate Christians simply because they are Christian. We really are blessed to live in the land in which we live, to have the freedoms that we have. But it was in this context that John was sent to the island of Patmos. And when you begin reading in the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, I, I, and I'm going to talk to you about that just briefly this morning. When you look at the book of Revelation, what you find out the first... How many of you have glanced at the book of Revelation just lately? Just say, Man, is there something I should know about here? Is, is there something I'm missing that I need to be aware of? The Revelation... The book of Revelation starts with five words. They're the five most important words in the entire book. The book of Revelation starts with these words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. If you read the book of Revelation to find out about the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. If you do that, you're missing the main point. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of the Antichrist. He's mentioned, he loses, Jesus wins. The book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. The one Jesus said, uh, the, the Bible says that Jesus was going to be born, he was born. The Bible said he was going to die, he died. The scripture says that he was going to rise again, he rose again. The scriptures say he will come again, he will come again. 
And when it looked like Christianity was under its perhaps most vicious assault under the emperor Domitian, John is sent to the island of Patmos to shut him up, and yet Jesus appears to him and reveals himself. Jesus reveals himself to John. You know, John could have been very tempted to be intimidated by the Roman Empire, the system, you know, all of the demands that that Domitian be worshipped as a god. But instead, Jesus appears to him. And this is just in the book of Revelation. I I just want to give you a quick little list. This is how Jesus is described in the book of Revelation. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler of the kings over the earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lord, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the Almighty. He is the Son of Man. He is the one who lives, was dead, and is alive forevermore. He is the Amen. He is the ruler of God's creation. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the heir to David's throne. He is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He is the king of the nations. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He is faithful and true. He is the word of God. He is David's spiritual root and his descendant. And he is the bright and morning star. What does the church do when the church is under pressure? It looks unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I don't know, Pastor Mark, has there ever been a year where there have been so many crazy distractions and, you know, confusion and and j- division and different things like that? And, 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 and we probably won't fully understand this year until we can look back on it maybe 10 years later. There's just been so much craziness and that type of thing. But I'm telling you what, the Bible says that there's coming a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the Bible says, but we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And there's all, you know, all the prognostications, all the projections, what if this, what if that. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not pacing the floor of heaven, wringing his hands, wondering if we can make it through this year. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, John says, When I turned to see who was speaking with me, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those represent local churches. And and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool. Just imagine Pastor Mark and I and then amplify it. White like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty like mighty ocean waves. 
He held seven stars in his right hand. I believe the seven stars represent pastors of local churches. And he goes on to say, And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. In verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. This appearing of Jesus Christ was so overwhelming that John's physical strength gave way entirely. The world might have been impressed with Domitian, but John was impressed with Jesus. I want you to understand earthly rulers, earthly systems, earthly kingdoms come and go, but Jesus reigns forever. Jesus rules forever. And I believe we should be good citizens. I am so glad you prayed for our nation today, our president today. You know, we need to pray for all in authority. We are called to be salt and light in the earth. But I want you to understand, ultimately, while we should be good citizens, ultimately our citizenship is in heaven. We need to understand that. And and that is a kingdom. Jesus rules over a kingdom that will never, ever pass away. Jesus said three things. I'm, I'm giving you a real, just skipping like a stone across the, the pond a little bit. But Jesus went on to tell John, he said, John, I want you to take a letter to the seven churches. Now, John was on the island of Patmos. I've been there a few times. It's 40 miles off the coast of ancient Ephesus. Um, beautiful little island out in the Mediterranean. But, but back then, no cell phone, no text message, no social media, no email, nothing. You know, so he, he might as well have been 4,000 miles off the coast. He, he's secluded and, and that type of thing. But Jesus appears to John and says, John, there's some churches back on the mainland. And, and I want you to take a letter to each of the churches And it's so interesting that as the book of Revelation begins, I can't teach through the whole thing by any stretch, but as the Revelation begins, it begins with this magnificent look at Jesus Christ. You know, you take Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, where Jesus was glorified. Well, when Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos, it's like God just turns the intensity up you know, three or four more times. And and Jesus is so magnificent that John falls before his feet as though John were dead. And then Jesus says, John, get up. You've got some communicating to do. I want you to take a letter to the seven churches that, that are back on the mainland. You know, that that's where John was had been living for many years in Ephesus. And so here's what we see. When we see Jesus in the book of Revelation... Our attention is drawn to him, but Jesus then draws the attention right back to the churches. Jesus loves churches. And Jesus wasn't just talking to the universal church. 
Jesus was talking to specific local congregations. Jesus loves local churches because that's how we gather. That's how we, and I know this has been a weird year. There have been a lot of online things and a lot of different things that we've done, but, but Jesus still loves, he loves local churches. And I want to tell you today just really quick, three things that Jesus said to every single church. How many of you know churches are made up of people? Have you ever looked for the perfect church? Because if you find it and start going there, it ceases being perfect as soon as you join it. Because you're not perfect. How many of you know there's no such thing as a perfect church? Every church has its strengths. Every church has its weaknesses. Every church has areas to grow. You know, we're all, we're all in a growing process. We aren't perfect. I have a pastor friend and he, you know who I'm talking about, pastors down in Texas, and and uh, somebody met him at the end at the end of church, and and said, uh, Pastor, I'm I'm I've just been coming here a couple Sundays. Do you realize that you have some problems in this church? And the pastor said, Ma'am, I'm the pastor here. We have hundreds of problems. Which one are you talking about? <laughs> How many of you know Jesus never loved us based on our perfection? He, he loves us based on his perfection. How many, of you, how many of you still have some issues you're working through? Getting your attitudes right, getting your thinking right. I don't know about you, but I'm still, I'm still learning and growing. I'm not perfect yet. I, I, I have not checked off Romans 12, the renewing of the mind. Oh, I'm done with that. What's, what's next? I, I'm still renewing my mind. I'm still, you know... Now, I know Pastor Mark, he doesn't have any flesh problems at all. But I'm still working on keeping the flesh under, okay? So are, are we okay just acknowledging that we all have issues, problems, and that, but, but we love each other in spite of our issues and in spite of our problems? So nobody here pretending to be perfect or whatever. But Jesus, when he talked to these seven churches, he told he told. Uh, let me think. Get my, I want to get my numbers right. Um, five of the seven churches he told to repent for something. But you know what? Six of the seven churches, he praised them for something. He patted them on the back and said, man, you're doing a good job in this area. Six of the seven churches, he had a compliment. I know people, Pastor Mark, I don't know you've never had anybody here like this, that all they do is talk about the problems churches have, the problems, the churches are full of problems. Well, yeah, because churches are full of people. But Jesus loves people anyway. Jesus, you know, the one church, how many of you know which church Jesus had nothing good to say to? Laodicea, right? You're, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I, it's, I want to spit you out of my mouth. But you know what? Even that church that Jesus, he had nothing good to say to them. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, behold, I'm standing at your door. I'm knocking. If, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you. E even when we're not in the best of shape, Jesus is still compassionate. Jesus is still merciful. He said, and he went on to say, as many as I love, I rebuke. 
Anybody here, has, has God challenged you about something this year? Has God told you to straighten up your thought life, or your attitude, or the way you're talking, or the way you're doing? If you say, no, God hasn't corrected me in years. Hey, that's not something to be proud of. Because Hebrews says, if, if God doesn't correct you, you might not be his child. God corrects those that are his. Now, I don't mean he's an incessant fault finder and all he does is nitpick you. But, but seriously, God loves us enough to tell us where we're wrong, where we need to straighten up, where we need to make adjustments and things of that nature. Even the church of Laodicea, which Jesus had nothing positive to say, he said, I love you so much, I'm, I'm still knocking at the door. I'm still hoping that you'll open up to me and let me come in and fellowship with you. Jesus doesn't rebuke us because he hates us. Jesus rebukes us sometimes because he loves us. But there were three things that Jesus said to every single church, and I want to tell you those today because I believe they're core values that Jesus has for us. Number one, he told every church, I know your works seven churches, seven times, one to each church, he says, I know your works. Now, Jesus, how many of you know we're not saved by works? But works, Martin Luther said it this way, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus wants the church, he wants believers to be working believers so that we can demonstrate the goodness and mercy of God to the world around us. So Jesus told every church, I know your works. Number two, he told every church, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He wants every church to be a listening church receptive to the Word and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How many of you know, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're just playing games? If we're not yielded to the influence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we're just going through religious rituals. A.W. Tozer made this statement, and he's not talking about heart of the bay. He's just talking about the church at large. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. We, Jesus said to every church, he that has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus wants every church to be a working church, and Jesus wants every church to be a listening church, receptive to the Word and sensitive to the Spirit. And number three, Jesus said to every single church, He that overcomes. Because Jesus wants every church to be an overcoming church. I'm telling you what, the church is not going under. 
the church is moving forward because Jesus is the author. He's not just the author. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's going to bring us to a flourishing finish. But the way that the church thrived in the early centuries is the same way that the church will thrive today. The church of the early centuries thrived, throved, thrived through horrendous affliction and horrendous persecution. Much of that is going on in many other parts of the world today. But I'm going to tell you what, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Jesus, the, of the increase, the, you know, in the beautiful Christmas that we verse we quote all the time, unto us a son is given, unto, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called, and all those beautiful names, and, and of, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Jesus is not in retreat. And the way that the early church maintained victory was they kept their eyes on Jesus. I, I want to close with something. I, I, I read this this morning. When I taught in Bible school, I used to teach a class called Christology, which is just a fancy name for the study of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And, and a piece written by Oral Roberts many years ago. I, uh, I modified it, adapted it a little bit ago, but it, he talked about how Jesus is really seen in every book of the Bible. Did you know that Jesus is the theme of Scripture? The Old Testament is preparation for Jesus. The Gospels are the manifestation of Jesus. The book of Acts is the propagation of His message. The epistles are the explanation of His work. And the revelation, it is the consummation of of his kingdom. Did you know that we may be living in the day when he's getting ready to tie all the loose ends together? But Oral Roberts did a piece uh, in a sermon called The Fourth Man and later in a book he wrote called Christ in Every Book of the Bible. But I want to share this with you today in closing. In Genesis, he is the seed of woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest in numbers. He is the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken walls of our shattered lives. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. 
in Hosea. He is the eternal husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our savior. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is our avenger. In uh, Habakkuk, he is the evangelist pleading for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain open to the house of David for the cleansing of sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the resurrected Lord continuing his work on earth through the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he is the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the sanctifier. In Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend of the oppressed. In Hebrews, he is the one who shed the blood of the new covenant. In James, he is the Lord who raises up the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is the Lord who shall soon appear. In First, Second, and Third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with tens, ten thousands of saints. And in Revelation, he is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Amen. Man, there's been a lot to look at this year, a lot to think about this year, but don't ever lose your focus. Don't ever let anything be bigger than Jesus. Later in the book of Revelation, it says that when Jesus returns, he will. He, it says, on his head were many crowns. Jesus is Lord over all. Let Jesus be the Lord of every area of your life. He wears many crowns. There's no area of your life that He's not qualified and worthy to rule and to reign as Lord and as Savior. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for the faith that we have. Lord, our faith is not based on us. Our faith is based on You. And as long as we look at You, our faith is going to be really big and really strong. Lord, we just thank You that You're the author and the finisher of it that you that have begun a good work in us, that you will perform and you will perfect that work until the very day that Jesus Christ comes again. And he will come again. And Lord, if he comes in our lifetime, may we be found busy when he returns. May we occupy 
until he come. Lord, we will not hide. We will not cower. We will not retreat. We are your church. We are the body of Christ in the earth. Lord, we will shine. We will influence. We will bear witness of your glory and of your power. And Lord, thank you for making us vessels that you can use to bring hope and and encouragement to a discouraged and a fearful and a confused world. Lord, we know who we have believed and we are confident that he is able to keep that which we have entrusted unto him, which is our very lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.